You're listening to the Yoga Inspiration Podcast with me, your host, Kino McGregor. I created this series to keep you inspired to get on the mat every day so that you can practice yoga and change your world, starting from the inside out, one breath at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Your support means everything to me. Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to Seek Up, the yoga inspiration show. In honor of Pride Month, I invited M. Camellia, a found space yoga, to guide us through a special meditation based in identity reflection. M is a fat, queer, non-binary yoga teacher and accessibility advocate based in Washington, D.C., They are called to create profoundly inclusive spaces for self-inquiry and the inward journey by integrating spiritual teachings and accessible trauma-informed movement practices with the spirit of social justice. M believes that the goal of yoga as of life is collective liberation. They have been called a tour de force of encouraging radical self-love and listed among the top thinkers and activists in the field of body positivity. I hope you enjoy this episode and tune in deeply to all of the principles presented here. Hello, welcome. My name is M. Camellia. My pronouns are they and them. And I'm recording this on unceded Piscataway land, colonized today as Washington, D.C. It's Pride Month. And as a queer and non-binary person, I'm thinking a lot about how my queer experience, how my trans experience has impacted me throughout my life, what benefits it's given me, what hardships it's given me. And in honor of the month, I wanted to offer you a practice that is based in some of those reflections. The first thing I want to do, though, is drop us in, get us settled. And then I'll invite you to stay settled in and turned inward as I share some of my story with you. So to get started, find a comfortable seat. I can be in a chair, can be on your couch or your bed or your floor, on your mat, on your cushion. And if it's comfortable for you to do so, I'd invite you to close your eyes. And if not, you can turn your gaze down towards the floor or just soften your gaze on no fixed point. And before you do anything else, notice the connection between your seat and whatever you're sitting on. Feel the place where your body meets the support, of whatever's underneath you, knowing that if you go down deeply enough, you're being supported by the earth. And perhaps let that connection downward towards earth, that gravitational pull that anchors you, let it become exactly what you need to lift up through the crown of your head to find a long spine. And even more so than for the sake of posture, just for the freedom of your breath. So if there's any other way that you can adjust your body to make more space for your breath, please feel free to do that. And you're welcome to keep your hands wherever they are right now or to rest them in your lap. You could also connect them over your heart or take a hand to your heart and a hand to your belly. And from here, you might turn your attention to your breath itself without making any changes, just noticing that natural cycle of inhale and exhale. Maybe making little notes for yourself about the qualities of your breath today. How deeply you're breathing. The duration of each inhale and exhale. 
where you feel that breath moving in your body, what you feel underneath your hands if they're connected to your breath spaces. Now, having gathered that information about how you're breathing, you're empowered to make any change that you like. If you want, you could lengthen the breath, maybe even particularly lengthening the exhale. You could also choose to experiment with a shallower breath or a quicker breath if your body's calling for it. You don't need to listen or practice along with me. If there is a breath practice that calls to you in this moment, you can also go there, whatever that looks like. And as you change up the breath, take more notes, gather more information. Compare this breath to the last, not judging either one of them, just noting how they're the same and how they're different. With that information gathered, you're once again empowered to make changes to the breath. As long as your attention is resting here, as long as you are gathering details, as long as you have points of reference from which you can make your decisions, you can change your breath anytime. If you haven't already, you might take this moment to come back to any natural, easeful breath, something sustainable in your body, no effort. And then if you'd like to join me, we can take three clearing breaths together. Those are deep breaths in through the nose with a big sigh or big exhalation out of your mouth. And I invite you to bring your hands into Anjali Mudra if you'd like a prayer position at the center of your chest. If you're joining me here, breathe in through your nose. And then exhale out your mouth. Let's do that twice more. Big breath in. Followed by a big sigh out. And one last time on your own. Then you might take this opportunity to bow to yourself, to others, to your communities, to your ancestors, to the Indus Valley and South Asia where our practices originate, to all of your teachers, those you know and those you don't. And if you want to make a dedication for your own practice today, you can take a moment to do that. I'm dedicating this practice to my queer and trans ancestors, most of whom I never had the chance to meet. 
Thank you. At this point, you're invited to open your eyes if you like, but no pressure. You're also welcome to listen to this story with your eyes closed, if that helps you really tune in to what you're hearing. As I mentioned when I started this video, I'm a queer and trans person. I always have been. But for a really long time, or what feels like a really long time, though may not be in comparative terms to other folks, I had no idea. <laughs> Growing up, I lived in a pretty small community in Wisconsin. And queerness, transness, it never crossed my radar. Uh, if it did, it was so inconsequential that I don't remember it. I never questioned my sexuality and never questioned my gender. I had no real reason to do so. No one encouraged me to. But I also felt from a very early age like I was different from my peers. I remember spending time with other folks who were assigned female at birth, um, friends of mine, and just being so confused as to why I didn't feel like I fit in with them, why I didn't feel like I could relate to them in pretty pivotal ways. I was really unhappy for a lot of my life. And it really wasn't until well after I had developed my first crushes and relationships with people who were not cisgender men that um, I even began to question whether I was straight, right? And whether I was cisgender myself. Not having role models who were queer, not having adults or even peers in my life who encouraged me to look within myself for that answer rather than base that identity answer on everything around me and all of the information that was put at me by the relationships that I could see, whether in person or on television. Yeah. I didn't have anyone to compare myself to, at least not to compare my similarities to. And without that, um, all I had were examples of what I was not. And it was incredibly isolating. I didn't encounter queer spaces until later in high school. I had come out by then. I had had a girlfriend for a while, um, but someone from another school was hard to even interact with her, let alone find other queer people to interact with somehow. Um, and at some point in high school, some June, I don't know which year, I was invited to go to the gay pride event in the closest city to my hometown. And it was the first time that I had seen queer adults who were out at least, or who I knew were queer. It was the first time that I saw a trans person that I knew was trans. It was the first time that I saw queerness centered, that I saw queerness as a community, 
and as a lineage with ancestry and a history and not just as something that was different about me. I was still working my way through shame and these feelings like I was somehow wrong because I didn't fit in. And of course, as I got older, I moved away from home. I moved to a city. I met a lot of queer and trans people and started to build relationships with them. And I went through a lot of different identity labels before I landed on any semblance of where I'm at today. And I recognize and honor that those labels for me are probably still in flux and will always be. What I have realized in the years since, after going through all of that process, now coming up on my 30th birthday, is that it was really that experience, that queer experience, that taught me to question everything that I thought I knew. I really don't know who I would be without that experience. I, I don't know if I would have encountered any drive to ask myself those really tough questions. And when I look back at that now, I, I see that as an early experience of svadhyaya, yeah, self-study, of self-inquiry, of yoga, even though I also had no idea what yoga was. My only experience with yoga had been a fitness-based class in a gym with my mother. It was not a great experience. That put me on a path, though, that impetus to ask questions. And I decided that what I wanted in life, what I was called to do, was to look for the truth. Truth, that is the word that stands out in my mind, that I wanted to know what was real. And at the time, the only way I could think to do that um, was to move towards a profession that asked questions. So I went to journalism school thinking, you know, newspapers, they report the facts. The facts are the truth, right? The facts of this world are the truth. And I went through four years of the program. I didn't end up finishing completely, though I was very close. And I was feeling pretty disillusioned by the end of that experience, recognizing how much more there was to this sort of philosophy and the theory behind this truth-seeking endeavor than we could ever really implement in journalism today, right? I'm not at all getting down on journalists. Very important. And I don't think that that was the truth I was seeking. And through a roundabout turn of events that I've discussed in, in other venues, um, I ended up finding a yoga practice, living in San Francisco, just going to the closest studio to my home. And I started to practice asana, like so many of us do. But I was lucky to find a teacher who really was interested in seeing students for who they were and meeting them where they were, which I'm not sure very many people like myself can say. I ended up sticking with it. I ended up training to become a teacher and recognizing that 
this spiritual practice, spirituality, which I had cut from my life after bad experiences as a queer person in a church, that this really was the path that I was trying to walk with my previous searches for truth. I was just looking in the wrong place. That experience has been so impactful and formational for me, right? From the earliest stages of my identity development, where the only identity I felt like fit me was different, other, right? I was othering myself as a child, not even realizing that someday I would know more about who I was, but still be othered by people around me. To finding answers to questions I'd never even thought to ask. Queerness is where my yoga started. And I take every opportunity that I can when I'm invited to do so to share of that experience because I think there's a lot of us. I think there's a lot of people out there who, who are never encouraged to ask some of those fundamental questions about themselves, who are taught that there is a norm right? There's a way that most people are, or that is normal to be. And that is straight and it's cisgender and it's white and it's thin. And it's all of these other dominant culture norms that result from systems of oppression that have been in place much longer than any of us have been alive. I think it's important to be visible I think it's important for there to be diverse representation in all sectors of our lives, because that's the truth of who we are in these manifestations as humans, right? We're very diverse. We're diverse on the outside in our appearance. We're diverse in many ways on the inside. We have different brains. We have different nervous systems. We have different genes. No two of us are exactly alike in really any way. And our experience is so colored by our identities that even as we develop, we get further and further away from being the same, right? And yet we live in this culture that is bent on assimilation, that is bent on creating some kind of uniformity. And you and I, as yoga practitioners, we exist in what has become an industry, at least here in the United States, that also puts value on uniformity and often bypasses the beauty in our diversity under the guise that as yoga practitioners, we believe we're all one. That's a spiritual bypass. And I don't think that it actually serves any of us. I don't think that people who are marginalized and oppressed are served when we refuse to see our differences. And I don't think that people who are in the most culturally normative, culturally dominant bodies are served either. Because this just reinforces the idea that we don't need to question those norms, right? 
that there is a right way to be. There is a right way to do this asana. There is a picture of what it should look like. There is a way you're supposed to feel when you do this practice. And it's just not true. And it alienates so many people, whether we're talking about it in relation to yoga practice or we're talking about it in the larger scheme of social justice, of worldly existence, of the various ongoing struggles for equity and justice. One of the practices, the observances that we are asked to perform as yoga practitioners is that self-study, that svadhyaya. And what I have realized as someone who now shares my experience with others very publicly and also places high value on forming relationships with people who have all types of experiences, right? I've realized that the moments when I am learning the most about myself, whether that is my identity in this body, in this experience in the world, or my true nature, is in relationship with others. There was a period of time when I was feeling so isolated that when I went to therapy to talk to somebody, I talked about myself using this language of feeling like if I were put in a vacuum, if I were put in some kind of liminal space that was away from everything else and everyone else where there was no influence on me, that I would stop existing. And at the time, that really scared me. It really scared me to be feeling like that, like there was nothing innate to me. As time has gone on, it started to comfort me. And I can't tell you with definitive certainty that that is true. But what I can tell you is that when I go to tell people who I am to describe myself, what comes up first and foremost is how I'm in relationship with others, right? I'm queer. I have queer relationships. I am non-binary. That is how I fit into some conception, whatever conception we're working with, of gender in relation to other people who hold different gender identities. Right? I'm a sibling. I have two siblings. It is my relationship to them that makes me a sibling. I'm an artist. I'm someone who creates art that has no meaning if there aren't also people who don't create art. Though, of course, there's some nuance in that. I would challenge you in this moment to think about the identities that you hold, whether they are social identities or they are familial or personal identities, and consider what they would mean if not within a relationship to other people. It may take a little bit of thinking sometimes, it does for me, but I have never done this exercise and not come back around to the fact that none of these identities, none of these labels hold any meaning without 
a comparison. And I don't mean a supremacization. I don't mean something is better or worse, but a very neutral, horizontal level comparison to other people's identities. What would it mean to be queer if everyone was queer? What would it mean to be straight if everyone was straight? They have no meaning without one another. And to me, this is an example of the duality that is described in our yogic texts, in our practice. Our differences define us. They literally give us meaning. And they also help us to differentiate our unique purposes, right, within the larger scheme of the universe or dharma. And yet, and yet, the dominant culture continues to want us to bypass that, to assimilate to some normative standard, to not question the status quo, which is all ultimately about power and supremacy and being able to place ourselves on a higher rung of the ladder than someone else. But yoga, the practice that we are here because we believe in because we identify with in some way. It teaches us that there is something within us that is the same, that is one, that our true nature is oneness, is yoga. Thinking about this around pride, one of the images that comes up for me first and foremost is a rainbow. And when I was a child, um, my grandmother hang a lot, hung a lot of those um, prisms in her windows for the sun to shine through and for that light to be refracted into rainbows that danced on the wall. And it was one of my favorite things and something, a memory that I hold very dear. And when I think about us as beings, as manifestations in this life and in all of our lifetimes. That's the image that comes to mind is this rainbow, a rainbow of refracted light shown through a prism from a single source, right? That oneness just refracted, just bent in a couple of different ways, not divided, just bent. And it creates this rainbow, this spectrum of colors differentiated from one another. If anything, I think that that differentiation is the only way for us to fully understand oneness. What meaning would differentiation have? What meaning would diversity have without oneness on the other side of that prism? And what meaning would oneness have, would unity have, would infinity have, if diversity didn't exist in the experience we're having as beings? I think it is important year-round to be in relationship with people who are different from us. And those relationships cannot be exploitative. They cannot be harmful. They cannot be performative or tokenizing. I share of myself in June. I tell this story every June in different forums, in different ways. 
because I think that my experience, my unique experience, the experiences that I'm having that are different from every other being who's ever walked the earth, I think that they are valuable. And whatever experience you are having in this life, it's valuable because we are guideposts for each other, because we are those points of reference that allow us to differentiate one another from one another, ourselves from each other, which I know sounds counterintuitive when we're in a practice that is all about unity and love and light. Those are beautiful things. But I think this is only step one, right? This differentiating between myself and you. I think that that's important because in seeing that those things are different, we are now able to see that they're not the oneness, right? And if this practice is ultimately about discerning our lowercase s self, this incarnation of us from the eternal self, the true nature, the Purusha, then it's important to be able to see what needs to be stripped away, what is not that true nature, so that we can see what's left when we take all those labels off. I think this is the core of our work. And this is why I don't think we can ever extricate yoga and social justice, yoga and politics. Because social justice is all about equity for these bodies that are so diverse. It's about recognizing that that diversity is a gift. It's about recognizing that we are interconnected, that how we show up in this life impacts everyone around us. And when we supremacize certain bodies over others, when we allow ourselves to feel inferior, we are no longer able to see the gift of our difference, right? We get bitter. Or we pump up our ego. Neither of these things is going to serve us in finding that spiritual liberation we are looking for, let alone the worldly liberation we so desperately need. So my call to action is really to keep getting to know one another, to be in relationship, to continue the mission of increasing diverse representation in yoga and beyond to uplift the voices and the stories and the experiences of those who have been kept out. That includes queer and trans folks. It includes folks of color. It includes fat people and disabled people. It includes essentially anyone who's been facing marginalization in their worldly life. This is why we need equity. Because we all benefit when we can all share in the resources and the tools available in this world, including yoga, including this practice. And we need that all the time. It's constant work. It cannot just be a listening session or one practice with a queer teacher in June. It needs to be ongoing relationship ongoing representation of queer and trans people throughout the year 
of people of color throughout the year, of fat teachers in yoga throughout the year, of people with disabilities in every sector, including yoga. That is not to say we can't honor heritage months. does not mean I don't want to be invited to teach in June. It does mean that I also want to be invited to teach in July. It does mean that I want to be able to access conversations and sangha and class and workshops and the teachings of people with a diversity of experiences in this world year round, even if some of those experiences make me uncomfortable sometimes, if they make me realize that I have not asked all of the questions about myself, right? So that's my call to you and to the yoga community. We continue to uplift representation and increase equity in this industry, increase access in this industry for practitioners and for teachers, for leaders. We change our idea of who teachers are in general. And we change our idea of what self-study is from this concept that it can really be done in a vacuum where we have no meaning in the first place. It has to be done in community. That is the truth of our interconnectedness. Before we go, if you did open your eyes, I invite you now to close them again or soften your gaze and to reconnect to your seat and to the earth beneath you. You might even take your hands or fingers down to touch the floor if you're seated that close to the floor or to touch the seat or anything else that is solid near you, knowing that through the various connections, you are touching the earth. Find your breath. Watch it move. For a moment while we're here, I invite you to ask yourself, what questions have I not asked yet? And you can just sit with that and see what comes up. You can also consider your identities, no matter what they are. Every one of them is a question. Every one of them is a question worth asking yourself. If your hands are still connected to the floor or some other surface, I invite you now to bring them back to Anjali Mudra, the center of your chest. And to take one more of those clearing breaths with me, if you'd like to join, you'll inhale through your nose now. 
and then let that breath go. Om Shanti, that's peace. And thank you so much. Hey there, it's Kino here. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to my podcast. Your support and your time and your attention really mean a lot to me. If you're enjoying this podcast series, you can find the full-length videos on my online channel, OMSTARS. And that's at www.omstars.com. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy. May you be peaceful. May you be filled with love. Namaste.